Acts chapter 3. Flip there with me if you would. And I'll read. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who set up the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power, our piety, we have made him one. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone of you from your wickedness. In the book of Acts, it is important to note that it comes from the author of the book of Luke, that Luke is writing Theophilus both. At the beginning of Luke, he says, I write to you, Theophilus, to give an account of Jesus. And then at the beginning of Acts, he says, I'm continuing my account to you, Theophilus, to tell you of the ministry of Jesus. Continue. 
And there's all this overlay. If you take the book of Luke, you take the book of Acts, you'll see that these books, in many ways, are meant to be layered on top of each other. And in that, there is a specific theological point that Luke is making. That Jesus, who is healing, announcing the kingdom, casting out demons, bringing together a called out community to be the seed of his communion, or to be the seed of his kingdom of God, is now being placed on his people who are in the spirit. And so we continue the ministry of Jesus by being in the spirit. There's nothing that was available to him that is not available to us. And so when Jesus comes in announcing in Luke 7 that when John the Baptist comes to him and says, or actually a person uh, sent to him from John the Baptist, when John the Baptist is about ready to be killed, and he says, say, hey, are you the one who is to come or should we ex uh, expect someone else? At that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to the many who were blind. So he replied to the messenger, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He's saying, I am doing all these things, and he does. At Luke 5, you see a group of people bring a lame man to his feet, and he bends down and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven, which makes all the religious rulers freak out, because who has the authority to forgive sins except for the person who was sinned against? And Jesus does show, hey, to give you the idea that I have the ability and the authority to forgive sins because I am ultimately God in the flesh who was sinned against. I'll show you what I can also do. And he tells the man to get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. And he's leaping and rejoicing. And the same scene in Luke 5 is now played out in Acts 3. Except instead of through the direct hand of Jesus, it's through Peter, filled with Jesus' spirit. And so you're going to see this regularly through the book of Acts. Jesus does something in Luke. And it's retold in a similar way through his church, through people like you and I, flesh and blood, filled with the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus says. Hey, it's a good thing that I go away from you, because I'm going to go and sit on my throne, and when I sit on the throne, I have all authority to pour out the Spirit on all of you to do the work that I'm doing here. And Johnny says, hey, you're going to do greater works than even I. And so, as we see in Acts 3, John and Peter are doing the work of Jesus. They're announcing the kingdom both by calling people to repentance, they're calling this, in this case, the Jews are saying, hey, look, you've missed the Messiah, so I want you to now repent and turn from your wicked way. And then they're also doing the work of healing. And so similarly, this goes on forward to us as the church. Now, we as the church are called to call people to repentance and to the work of healing. And the work of repentance, like calling people to that, if we're honest, is awkward, maybe, and a little bit weird for us to get into conversations where we're just saying to people, hey, you're a sinner and you're needing of grace, and so repent. We sometimes get there, but it's like, you know, it's like tough to kind of just like open up to that. But at the same time, we understand more or less how to do that. But then we get to healing, and this is a horse of a different color. Because our culture doesn't do us a lot of favors when it comes to the idea that Jesus was healing lame people, opening the eyes of the blind, and now he's giving this, this ministry to us. And you say, well, he's not giving it to us, he's just giving it to the apostles. I mean, the apostles are doing this miraculous event where they heal a lame man, and then you see later in Acts 5, 
that all the people are bringing the, the sick out just so that when Peter walks by, his shadow might cast upon them and they might be healed because he's healing so many people. But then you also get in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about gifts of the Spirit. This idea that the Spirit's been poured out to all people. And it says this in verse 4 through 11. It says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each just as He determines. You can go on to James, where it's going to say, hey, is anybody sick? Let them bring those who are sick to the elders, and they will pray, and that person will be healed when they pray in faith. And I'm bringing this all to our attention to say, a lot of us probably have been raised up in systems where we've explained these texts away. We've wrestled with the idea of like, well, that was then, but this is now. And I think a lot of it comes from the, the discomfort from, well, I don't really know how healing and the gifts of healing is supposed to work. And if it doesn't work, then what's that say about God? Or worse, what's that say about me? But I would just ask, what if instead of trying to deny it, what if instead of trying to theologically explain it away, what if we leaned into it? What if we just got curious about it? What does it look like for Jesus who says, I'm bringing the kingdom and I'm doing it through many works of bringing and pushing back the kingdom of darkness and death and disease. And we're in the already not yet. One day it will be fully healed, but in this time, there's things that I want to do to show you it breaking in. And Jesus does it, and then his apostles do, do it, and then it seems to be that Paul expects the church to continue to do it. And so I, I just wanted to use our time this morning to just ask what would it look like for us to be a community who's leaning into gifts of healing of calling people to repentance and calling people to walk calling people to do what physically is thought to be unable for them to do and so what does that look like what does it look like to us be a community here in 2021, in the midst of a global pandemic, calling for gifts of healing. Well, James gives us a clue, and uh, if you want to flip there, I'm going to go James chapter 5. I just uh, referred to this text, James 5, 13 through 18. It says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each, uh, each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And James is going to talk about, hey, bring people before the elders so that they might pray in faith for them to be healed. But James talks about praying to the elders, but it doesn't say, hey, there's just a certain group or class of people that are more holy or righteous or set aside to pray. He then later goes on to say, hey, Elijah's just a regular person. And he prayed, and God did things through that. And so James is ultimately getting the idea, how does healing work? It starts by simply being Willing to faithfully ask God to heal. Regular people praying for someone to be healed. But I pray all the time for people to be healed. I've prayed several times for family members to be healed. I've prayed for different people to be healed. Apparently I'm not doing it right. I'm not praying in faith right. I'm not having enough faith to do something because I'm not unlocking what's going on. And, and we do that thing all the time where we like pray... God, heal this person, whether through natural means or supernatural means, either guide the doctor's hands or guide the medication or do something in a way that we just can't deny that it's you. But if you don't, Lord, it's okay, and we'll get over it, and we'll, you know, do PR for you. Because don't worry, it's not you that's failing, it's we who don't have enough faith. And I wonder what it would look like if we became a community who just prayed, hey, God, heal this person. Full stop. Jesus' name, amen. The sin button. Jesus' name, amen. Uh, what if we just prayed in a way that was, let's just ask God, and like Elijah, ask repeatedly. The story that it references in Elijah, where it says that Elijah prayed for rain, the story is him praying for rain seven times. Something that God told him to do, by the way. God says, hey, I want you to pray for rain, and I'm going to send rain upon the crops. After it hadn't rained in three and a half years. And so Elijah prays, nothing. He prays for a second time, nothing. A third time, nothing. A fourth time, nothing. A fifth time, nothing. A sixth time, nothing. A seventh time, each time he's sending out a servant for him to go check and see if anything's producing. And on the seventh time he says, a cloud is coming. It wasn't like a seventh time in torrential downpour. It was a wispy beginning of a cloud that did robbery. And so even in James, he's saying, hey... Pray to pray a prayer of faith, and he, sometimes you could read that and be like, well, if you pray in faith, they'll be healed. But yet then he goes to Elijah, and he's comparing someone about a story where someone prayed for seven times for something that God told him to ask for, and it took all seven times for God to work. And I've got to admit, as a modern Westerner, I don't get why God works this way. I don't get why he puts in stories about, hey, pray like an old widow who's coming to a judge asking for justice and that she's pestering him and pestering him and pestering him and eventually even a wicked judge will give her justice just because he's annoyed. Or pray like a guy coming to his neighbor in the middle of the night who wants bread to give because the markets are closed and he has an unexpected guest and he just knocks and knocks and knocks and eventually that guy gets bread, not because the guy wants to give him bread, just because he's eventually just fed up with them asking and gives it to him. And God says, hey, pray like that, which is, again, nobody would teach about prayer like that unless it was Jesus preaching on prayer like that. And I don't get why it's like that. But the Bible's clear. 
hey, let's ask. And maybe we don't have to give the escape clause to God if it's not your will. Maybe we can just ask boldly again and again and again. And we will discover if it is or is not his will. Because I have to be real. A lot of times I'm giving the it's not your will clause. Not ultimately because I truly believe that God is going to do all things according to his will. I know that's true. It's because I want to give my doubting heart an out. And I'm not saying that's everybody who's ever prayed that way. Jesus prays that way when he's in the garden. He says, hey, not my will, but your will. There's a righteous way to do that. I just know my heart. And I'll let you assess yours. And so I feel convicted in times like this where I see these stories where people are walking in and just proclaiming, hey, stand up and walk. In a way that would have gotten really awkward if it didn't happen. But yet, he just asked, and if it wasn't God's will, then it doesn't happen. But if I'm someone who asks and asks and asks and asks, maybe I have not because I'm asking not. Maybe we have not because we're not asking. At Summer Northwest uh, last year, I told this story before, but it just was on my mind throughout the week. There was uh, a baby born to the Coyle family, uh, Steve and Tasia, uh, SJ, Steve Jr., and he immediately was brought to the, the NICU. He wasn't breathing well. Uh, I mean, by all indicators, the doctors were saying, like, this is going to be an hour-by-hour -hour thing. And it was for like days on end. And then days became weeks. And people of Summer Northwest in their community began just praying, just asking that SJ would be healed. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And every single time they check in with the doctors and they say, hey, we're doing everything we know to do, and nothing's working. He's not responding. And we were in the midst of our fasting series as a three congregations right before COVID got started in February last year. It was about this time last year. And so someone Northwest, just in the midst of the application to the fasting series, said, hey, everyone who feels inclined, let's fast and pray for S.J. Coyle to be healed. And they were about ready, Steve and Tasia, to transfer him to another hospital because the hospital they were at were saying, there's nothing else we can do. And so out of a desperation, they said, it's really dangerous to move him, but there's nothing we can do. So you might as well try another hospital to see if they can do something that we can't figure out. And the day they are going to ask for the transfer, something changes. They don't change a single procedure what they're doing at the hospital, but they said all of a sudden he begins responding. It was coalesced with thousands of prayers for SJ. And a hundred people fasting on his behalf. And all of a sudden, that which was just not working begins working. And he starts responding to medication. He starts responding to respirators. He starts getting stronger. And about a month and a half later, they bring him home. And Steve and Tasia stand up later at Summer Northwest. And they 
proclaim and praising to God that God healed our son. And I don't know why it wasn't just one prayer. I don't know why it took what it took. But God says, hey, would you be willing to ask and ask and ask? Because here's the reality that I know too. That God is healing things physically, but he's also, just like in this passage, calling for hearts to heal things spiritually on the soul level as well. I mean, that's the other reality of, of the gifts of healing. Many times we're asking for somebody to be healed by a physical means, but not recognizing that God is doing something very specifically with this disease, with this sickness, with this ailment, to bring us to a place to ask Him to move in what's true of our hearts that need to repent or turn from sin or addiction or, or some level of trauma or attack or spiritual warfare that has been placed in our lives. And I don't believe that God is giving us this sickness to turn us there, but I believe that God is not willing to waste any sickness that is upon us to both heal us, maybe physically, and maybe spiritually on an eternal level. I mean, again, Steve Coyle stood up at Soma of Northwest, and he proclaimed all that God did in the work of his heart and his family over the months of what he described was like being having his head thrust under water until he felt like he was about ready to pass out and breathe and inhale water. And then all of a sudden God pulls his head up from the water, gives him a deep breath, and then plunges it back in water for weeks on end. And he said that's what it felt, but he said on the other side of it, there was something that had happened in his heart towards God that had expressed itself in a deepening of faith and understanding of God's love for And so that's another part to us as we ask us, what does prayer look like? It looks like us praying for holistic healing. It looks like us talking to one another. For someone who's coming forward and saying, hey, I, I want to be healed of this, then we're going to pray, God, heal them of this, full stop. And then maybe it's also for us, because we're in community with one another, because we know each other, to then continue to ask, hey, is there anything that maybe... God's putting on your heart in the midst of this that we can repent of. I'm not saying that all, all sin and disease are interconnected, that everyone who's sick is sinful, or everyone who is sinful will be sick. That's not how it works. But God often does, in the midst of healing, give us something deep in our soul. And so let's not waste the opportunity to just like say, hey, is there things that there might be that God's bringing because of this situation to the forefront of your mind? We get this in a medical, scientific, traumatic way. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And in The Body Keeps the Score, it's essentially a book saying that often physical ailments, pains, stresses, things that happen to your body, inability to sleep, all manners of, uh, of physical things are often affected by previous trauma, previous stress, previous things that have happened because they said your body just holds on to these things and often it begins expressing itself physically, but it's not physical at all. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's at a soul level. And so they say often you have to go in and start begin working through counseling, start seeking help in spiritual communities, and start to ask how do I eradicate whatever's going on that's expressing itself physically on a soul level. As people
people who use this as our primary lens of what's true of history in the world today, how do we not look and say that spiritual warfare may be a play? How do we not look and say, hey, when somebody has a traumatic event occur to them, somebody sins against them, that there's a spirit sometimes that is placed in that situation, in that life, that continues to express itself in a physical way years later. That when someone holds on to sin and addiction, that just by learning to manage the behavior, sometimes that that can still continue to open a foothold for the demonic, the dark, the spiritual attacking, to continue to manifest itself in a physical way. And so again, do not hear what I'm not saying. Sickness and sin are not a one-for-one -one correlation. But let's also be in community enough not only to pray fully that we would receive healing for those who are in our church community or those who are in our neighborhood, but then let's also press into the relationship and just ask, like, hey, what have you been wrestling through? What have you been praying through? What have you been dreaming about? What are the things that might be coming to the forefront of your mind to be healed beyond just what's going on physically? And so in this, the gifts of healings, which by the way is how it's phrased in the Greek, it's both are plural, the gifts of healings, because you're called to pray each and every time. It's not like to have the gift of healing is just like you have this power that you like walk in the room to 24 karat magic just pointing at people and they're just like falling on their heads and everything, and you're baptizing them in the spirit of health. Like, it's a regular prayerful asking of people like you and me. And some of us will find that for whatever reason, God has bestowed his spirit in such a way that more often than others, when you pray, God starts to put something towards your mind to say, hey, let's talk to him about this because there's something spiritual we want to heal here too. Or when you praise and God heal them full stop, and you do that 7, 8, 9, 10, 25 times, you have more stories than others around you that you've been able to tell. Of like, yeah, we were just praying and they were healed. Maybe you don't even realize you're the common denominator because you're in these groups of people praying again and again and again. You just say, like, man, the communities that I'm in, people tend to pray and people tend to become healed. And so it's not this something that you even probably are overwhelmingly cognizant that you possess. But it's just a pouring of God's Spirit upon you to pray and to find the fruit of the Spirit working through your persistent asking of God to heal people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I uh, remember a couple years ago, I forget what series we were even in, but we were talking about this concept of just coming to church leadership to receive prayer. And that Sunday we like ended the time by just like spreading out leaders and, uh, and having people just invited during the songs to follow to come and receive prayer. And we had olive oil and we're just anointing people with oil and then praying 
and I can't remember, someone told me like within the last month or so, so you'll have to tell me if this is you, because I remember this conversation, but as I continue to reach back in the recesses of my mind this week, I could not put the face to the name and the exact things that were said in this conversation. But they said, hey, I, I came forward that time, and again, I forget what they were praying for. It was like being out of work or something to that effect. And they said, I was prayed for, and... A month later, things happened, and I've always pointed back to that time that we were called forward to receive prayer, and God answered. Our God came to bring the kingdom. It's already here. Not yet in its fullness. But what do we have not because we ask not? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that uh, even now as we talk about praying in faith, uh, if we believe in a spiritual realm that is intelligent and would desire us not to do so, it'd be probably presenting lies of doubt in this moment. It'd probably be presenting rational explanations of how this could be explained away. But Lord, I, I pray that in those you would give our community a persistent heart to ask you to work and trust that we don't have to feel responsible for the times where you choose not to or feel responsible for those who look at our ineffectual prayer and laugh and scoff and say who is your God because ultimately you're calling who you will call you're healing who you will heal and all you give us is the call to ask and the promise that you will respond. Maybe not in a way that we feel like we can control it, not in a way that we feel like we want it in every moment that it's available to us, but in a way that you say, will you trust me as a good father who in my time is making all sad things untrue? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.